Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and what a weekend of football it was. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me as ever is the Rank God, Mr Sam Tai. How you doing mate? Hello. Yes, I'm very well. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. My voice has just recovered from Fulham beating Brentford in the West London derby on Saturday. Mm. So that's good. Um, I'm less throaty than I was or have been throughout this week, as, as some of our listeners will already attest to. And of course, our transfer group, Mr. Dean Jones, who was right there next to me. I was, yeah. Very good, very good times. Um, I had a four-year-old on my lap for most of the game uh, or in my hands. Um, was, yeah, Dylan came to the game and he got the bug. Um, he definitely came out. He cried when, we, when I said we were leaving. He cried because he didn't want to go home. Things we love. That is the things we love. I was going to say, Dylan might be my thing we love this week. You know? He loves pizza. He loves Fulham. That's my boy. That's also, my boy. I'm, also, all I'm all set for a good life. Dean, you had to go down the front for a bit at one point because he wanted Mate, to be closer to the action. Wandering around. I did see you wandering around. Uh, like Dylan thought it was like he had the run of the place and could just wander <laughs> around and sit in any empty seats. And uh, it wasn't to be fair to him, well, yeah, so we had, we had one spell in the first half and the second half in like random seats around the ground. Um but I could say he was like, I prefer it down the front because I can actually see. I was like, that's a fair point. <laughs> like he can't, he can't see end. He has no idea where the ball is. He cried when the first goal went in. Uh, it was forty seconds and it went pretty mad around us. And uh, I was, I had him in my arms and I was jumping around and cheering, um, probably shouting some derogatory things as well at Brentford from the other, you know a mile away. Um, but yeah, uh, I looked at him and I'd expect him to see him laughing and he was just in floods of tears. <laughs> what are you doing, Dad? He said. <laughs> well, him, him and me both. To be perfect. <laughs> when Fulham scored the first, the floods of tears. Oh, the floodgates open for me as well. The first and the last goals. Um, very, very emotional. That's no, good um, fun. It was good though. It's good. It's good being in a split family in terms of Fulham and Brentford in days like these. Um, they're, the, they're the ones you live for. We've had plenty go against us in recent years. Yeah. We will come on though now. Two things we love, and Sam, you're going to start us off this week. Yeah, I mean, you guys just started us off with uh, five minutes on Fulham, but I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll jump in at some point here. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was about time we moved on. <laughs> and um, I'll talk on. about Casemiro. Um, I've loved. A lot to do with Casemiro this week. Uh, first of all, I loved the farewell ceremony that he was a part of on Monday. Um, then replaying his best moments and just just making it very clear to him and to everybody just how big a part of the club and its successes that he's been over the last eight or so years, close to a decade, I think. He's standing there on the podium in tears. It all meant a lot to him. There's a lot of emotion in football. And uh, as you guys will attest to from the weekend, um, sometimes it takes over. I, and I love to see that human element in a footballer sometimes because we do we do fall guilty sometimes of, of just seeing them as robots. Um, second of all, I, I love the fact that Casemiro then took a flight and, and turned up to watch, uh, obviously, Manchester United against Liverpool, his new teammates. I love the fact that he dressed as a Bond villain in order to intimidate his new teammates into playing well, which worked. They were brilliant. Well done. They are now terrified of him and they're playing for him. Uh, and third of all, I mean, I loved, I, loved this, I loved this deal from Manchester United's perspective. 
which actually, weirdly, judging by my Twitter timeline, seems like a semi-hot take. And I know this is things we love, not hot takes. You know, it's we, 2022, we, we, not 2020. We retired that a long time ago. But yeah. this, but this is this to me. This isn't a hot take, but by general standards, I think it might be. Casemiro is an amazing signing for Man United. I've seen people trying to claim he's 31. He's not. He's 30 and a half, six months. Uh, people trying to describe him as aging. Well, technically, all humans are aging, so I can't really. Some age faster than others, though. One for the heads there. I do, yeah. Even newborn babies are technically aging with every second. So factually, you're right. But I don't think I'd use the word for aging for Casemiro. I'd say that he's at the top of his game. And if you're in Manchester United's perspective, i.e. you're at panic stations in the market, the capacity to do something absolutely ludicrous and stupid here is, 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 is pretty high. But Casemiro is a world class footballer. And when you are presented the opportunity to sign a player like this, you take it. You don't look back. You don't ask him if he's sure because he might change his mind. And once Real Madrid has sanctioned the sale, you move as quickly as possible before they change their mind too. Well done, Man United. Exceptional signing. Didn't overthink it. Could have done something really stupid here. Possibly might still with the rest of the window to go. But Casemiro to United is just a big win. I mean, yeah. I've come a long way from being linked to Arnautovic and Rabiot. That's all, that's all you can <laughs> say here. Like, what? this is a massive win. Not enough is actually being made of it. I don't think people are, are excited enough about this signing. Um, obviously, United looked a completely different proposition on, on Monday night. Ten Hag shows he's not scared of anything or anyone by leaving Maguire and Ronaldo out the team. And as soon as I saw that lineup, I was like, oh, do you know what? This is going to be a much better game than I had anticipated. And looking at Liverpool's team, their midfield isn't isn't great at the moment. They've got 10 injuries. Um, and I was like, this is something. Once you throw Casemiro in there too, and once you consider like what is still to come, um, it's, it's a really, really exciting time for Man United. They haven't had a lot to be excited about in recent times, but this is one. Yeah, I think this is it. There are obviously some question marks. I don't think over him as a player, but over whether one player can can fix everything at Manchester United. And I don't think that's correct. I don't think he is going to be the, this saviour figure. What I do think about this deal is it, it's just one of those where you go, yeah, yeah, bring in sensible pieces and build it bit by bit. Um, and there's been some people saying that he doesn't fit in, a, in an Eric Ten Hag system. I don't think that's true. I think he's pretty similar stylistically in some ways to to what Edson Alvarez did for, for Ten Hag at, at Ajax playing at the base of midfield. I think that you're looking at this and going, you know, we've seen Casemiro and Fred work for Brazil. Uh, you know, their, their record together, in fact, for the national team is, is pretty impeccable, to be honest. Now, obviously, club football is not international football and there are far higher demands in terms of intensity. And, and that will mean that this is, is more stressed as a partnership than perhaps it is at international level. But on the whole, you look at this and just think, yeah, that's that's what you do when you're, you're in a really, really tricky situation. You go out and try and sign someone who who has the head and the experience to calm that down. Maybe this deal's a little bit long, maybe. But right now, I don't think United have many options and they've taken one of the best things, I think, that was on the market. We didn't think it was on the market. They found a market, created a market for it and made it happen. And that's massive. Yeah, fair play. I mean, you'd never expect Casemiro to be available. I know Ramad would have just signed Aurelien Shuameni for like 100 million euros and he's seen as the long-term successor to Casemiro. But the words long and term still apply there. Um, and I know that Shuameni was, was pretty good at the weekend, but 
I'm just very surprised they've they've decided to make this switch so quickly. And I think it, it weakens Real Madrid and it and it, it massively strengthens Manchester United. Of course, they need more pieces. We will talk about Manchester United in the next section. But all we can do right now is judge the deal in isolation. We can judge the whole window at the end of the window. If they don't bring in the other pieces, I'll be critical. But right now, bringing in Casemiro is just tick, tick, tick. I can't yes. fault it. I'd agree. I'd agree with that take, Sam. And with that, I'm going to move us on and away from the Premier League for a little while. Um, I mentioned him very briefly last week, but I think he deserves his own segment today. The thing I love, or the person I love in this case, is new Napoli Dynamo Vicha Kvaratskhelia, the 21-year-old Georgian winger who has exploded into life in Serie A like a Technicolor firework. Not content with a goal and an assist last time out against Hellas Verona. Uh, this weekend, he scored two sensational goals against Monza to really get Napoli pulses racing. Looks like they've gone and unearthed another absolute diamond from the rough. Arrived this summer for around 10 million euros uh, to play off that left-hand side that's been vacated by, well, the departing legend, I suppose, that is Lorenzo Insigne. And get this, he's already scored more goals from open play in his first two games than Insigne did over the entirety of last season. That's not that's not a bad start when you have those kind of shoes to fill. At the Maradona, obviously named after the great man, there's been tentative nicknames of Kvaradona kicking around <laughs> already. It's very exciting. Oh, I'm very excited about all of this, to be honest. Look, he's blessed with mesmeric dri- dribbling ability. The ball almost stuck to his boots, as we saw with his second this weekend. An eye for goal and the ability to play ambidextrously using both feet on both sides of the pitch. You can see why people are getting excited and using nicknames such as that. And But as you said in your article on the Ranks website, Sam, go on our website, ranks.football, to, to have a read of that. His might be a hard name to pronounce, but he's an easy, easy watch. We better get used to, to trying uh, to say like that line, it, I did you? I did, Sam. I did. Very, very good. Mm, I wrote it and thought, Jack will, Jack will smile when he reads that. Mm, I did. I did smile. Um, look, he's, he's, he's a light, frankly, isn't he? He's, he's a joy to watch. Absolutely. I mean, Luciano Spalletti has already talked about playing down expectations and how Guevara is just getting started and he's getting used to the pressure that now applies and hangs on his shoulders and <laughs> nicknames and comparisons to the man that Napoli hold most dear to their hearts, the man who is uh, who is the name of their stadium. Well, that's um, it's probably going in the opposite direction to relieving pressure, but Guevara's done just fine so far, so no worries there. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll talk about windows at the end of the window, but at the moment and at the start of the window, we talked about being worried about Napoli. In in, in recent times, they've added more pieces in here. It looks like Tongi and Dombele is going there. We've seen Giovanni Simeone arrive, Raspadori's arrived. They're doing some good work. They're doing some good work in the aggregate, as they would say on Moneyball, I would say. Um, they, they might not be able to replace those players individually, but in the aggregate, feels like Napoli are right amongst it again. Kaylor Navas through the door, and we're going to be having conversations about Scudettos. Um, right, DJ, what's your thing you love? Well, mine is also Napoli related. I came across a picture this week and I was like, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this and how much money is it worth? Napoli manager Luciano Spalletti has the best football shirt collection you have ever seen in your life. So I guess he did an interview with Darzen and he let them into his, his special man cave, which... From this image, I need to see the full video to see if there's any more. I reckon in, just in this picture, there's got to be 200 shirts. It says it took him 30 years to build it. 
Honestly, I mean, Jack's got the best DH gate collection I've ever seen. But <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't take two, it doesn't take 30 years if you just go on DH gate for a while. <laughs> Takes 30 quid. Um, <laughs> but this, I mean, you just go through like, you just, I'm just zooming to a little section of it. And it's like, okay, so what do we go from here? Right, we've got Beckham, Batistuta, Ronaldo, Cannavaro, Maldini, Maradona, Skriniar, Perisic, Zaza, Van Nistelrooy, Insigne, Baggio. Hang on a minute. Did you just say Zaza? Yeah, yeah he's got one, a few, one, one of, of these. One of these isn't like the others. Right. That's, that's <laughs> funny. Like, then you keep going. Have you got Baggio, Mo Salah, Jamie Vardy, Memphis, Higuain, Jesus, Ronaldo, Joe Cole, Terry. Like, this is absolutely insane. Like, unbelievable shirt collection like you have to go and find the picture I and mean, the picture i'm looking at right now is actually on sport bible they've obviously just taken a screenshot or something from it and, and gone with it but um it's incredible like this shirt collection is worth is, well, it's obviously worth millions isn't it like one messy shirt goes for god knows how much so he's got about four of them i think um so yeah Spalletti, fair play, what a side hustle. He's been building, <laughs> what a management career, but what a side hustle we never knew he had, building the best shirt collection in world football. It's been a good month for Italian shirt collections, hasn't it? Because did you see the thing that Daniele De Rossi put out on his birthday where they were like, no. he was just like, please send me more Rome, uh, Totti shirts. And he just like, his thing is just a, a cupboard full of Totti shirts. Which I think it's maybe the best thing ever. That's and he was fine. like, please send me some Dybala ones. My uh, my fans, friends and family are asking for them. No more Totti shirts, please. Just a picture of an entire cupboard um, <laughs> of, of, of Francesco Totti shirts, which I thought was very, very nice. Love I enjoyed it. very much. So, okie dokie, that that's all we've got time for in our first part. Uh, but after the break, we are going to be coming back for our main ranking, where we're going to be talking about the Premier League teams with the most to do as this transfer window hurtles towards its end. Don't go anywhere. Are you missing out on games you'd want to watch because they're not broadcast in your region? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're in the UK, but you'd rather listen to commentary from our old pal Derek Gray, why not give something new a go? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. And the same goes for our US listeners who are desperate for those dulcet tones of Peter Drury or Martin Tyler. There's no need to travel to Japan if you want to watch the J-League or Austria to keep an eye on the latest youngsters flying off the RB Salzburg pipeline when Nord NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no game is out of your reach. Using our link nordvpn.com forward slash ranks FC, you can try it for a free month. And also there's a huge discount on their two-year plan. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main segment. Sam, over to you. Yeah, there's a week left, more or less, in the transfer window. And there are certain clubs in the Premier League who have an absolute mountain of work to get through. I can't quite believe they still have so many tasks left on the docket with just seven or eight days left, depending on when you listen to this. So I've picked out, I think this is a first ever four. It's a ranking of four. It's usually usually five, sometimes three, never four. But uh, like an old school Premier League chase, it is a top four for us. (laughs) And we've picked out four teams who really need to get a move on. I've limited it to the Premier League because I genuinely looked across Europe and tried to find others who really need to get stuff going. And the truth is, while the Premier League teams are obviously spending like mad, you know, the the transfer record, the summer transfer record has been 
has been has been smashed already. The Premier League has outspent itself once again with with a week to go. Everybody else is kind of counting their pennies, aren't they? I mean, a lot of teams across Spain feel like they're in major financial difficulties. The same can be applied across a lot of the different leagues as well. There probably aren't that many teams I can compel in good faith to go out there and spend some money. But in the Premier League, it just feels like a bottomless pit, doesn't it? So you feel pretty safe in saying that the following four can go out and really spend a bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. We like doing pan-European rankings on the show, but obviously uh, this one hasn't quite worked to those extents. So we'll, uh, we'll roll on in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I think we can start with Everton because um, it wraps in one of like the big sort of transfer storylines that's emerging across Tuesday and presumably Wednesday. I mean, it's been bumbling along all summer, but it's really starting to reach ahead now. It kind of looks like Everton can get £60 million for Anthony Gordon, which is bonkers. We should probably start by saying bonkers. Sell, sell, sell. Drive him there yourself. Rebuild. You've got it's problems... Your, uh... It's your famous one on Twitter, isn't it? Nobody should be, nobody should be, uh, nobody should be offering sixty million for Anthony Gordon, and nobody should be turning down sixty million for <laughs> Anthony Gordon either. No, not at all. So, Dean, uh, I think just straight off the bat, Gordon sixty million to Chelsea by the looks of it is is a genuine possibility, or at least they look like they're willing to put up a big fee. Oh my mm. god. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Chelsea need new life breathed into their their attack. They want they look they're looking at two types of players at the moment. You've seen them sign like Koulibaly and Sterling, but also they're looking at players that can help them. You know, long term, they're looking at young prospects coming through in the game. And Gordon's kind of a bridge between the two. He's a, he's a player that's come through and he's he's made a splash at Everton. He's their best player, pretty much, um, and he's in another relegation battle already. And he don't want to be in it. And Chelsea know that. So they're like, we're going to try. Like, he's Everton's best player. We need a creator. Obviously, like, the the market's inflated. Like, Gibbs White's just gone for an absolutely extraordinary amount of money. Yeah. Like, that hasn't helped uh, Chelsea here at all. Like, that, what was the amount in the end for Gibbs White? Well, 40 odd or 45, including add ons, yeah, including quite a lot of add ons that I think are, are relatively yeah. difficult ish to hit. But so, still. say Gordon ends up being. 40-ish up front and then add-ons to get to 55, 60. Um, it's ridiculous. Of course it is. But it just fits in with everything else that happens in the Premier League. It's all nonsense. Um, and, and that's where we're at. You know, Chelsea are going to lose Callum Hudson-Odoi this month. They'll probably lose Hakim Ziyech. And they're, they're open to other things too, like Christian Pulisic. He could probably go if the right offer comes along for him they'd rather he stayed because they have no options but at the end of the day he's not guaranteed games and they're not really going to hold him against his will so they need forwards obviously they're going after Aubameyang as well at the moment um but yeah Gordon it's a lot of money I don't I don't like I've seen on TV and stuff people like laughing at it I think you can laugh at it because Anthony Gordon is a really good footballer Um, and there was another article today I think it was Mike McGrath in the Telegraph Talking about how Gordon is open to this because he wants to get as quickly as he can up the ladder in international football. He wants to put himself in the frame for being one of the top players in the world at his age. And he's not going to be able to do that at Everton, is he? Let's face it. Um, let's see if he can do a Chelsea. I mean, it's not going to be easy to even get in the team first and foremost. But the way yeah. Chelsea are playing right now, it will be. But like longer <laughs> term, obviously, Chelsea are going to get a bit better as the season goes on. But OK, well, so let's, let's swing it back around to Everton again because they... Here they, they they get what fifty to sixty million or whatever it was to, for Richarlison, and then they get you know sixty odd million for Anthony Gordon. Um, 
it's a big it's a big chunk taken out of their attack. And with Dominic Calvert Lewin injured, it's basically their entire attack from last season, um, which is a big problem. And Everton, it's difficult to trust them to spend money. But this is a real, really big opportunity to kind of just hit the reset button and kind of re-bolster the attacking line and go out and, and find some players that you can kind of move forward with. I mean, Gordon has said he wants to join Chelsea, wants to move on. Richarlison has gone. And we talked about Everton earlier in the summer and we talked about what they need to do. And they've gone out and signed, you know, James Tarkovsky and and, and Connor Cody, um, Amadou Onana. They've really strengthened the spine of the team and solidified. I think they've committed to a back three with wing backs. They've got a lot of players now for those those roles. They've got a lot of players that they can call upon, but they need to refresh the attack. With or without Gordon, they need to refresh it anyway, but I would sell and, and start looking around. And as we go through these clubs, I will... I'm happy to provide some some idea of who I think they might want to sign, and there's a there's a big a big long list of different types of strikers that Everton could utilise and and could maybe call upon. Um, Shea Adams seems to be one they really want. Southampton quizzically seem quite interested in selling to a relegation rival. I'm not sure if that's the smartest move, but Shea Adams would be would be good. I think a former yeah, Southampton striker, he's a good player. I think a former Southampton striker, Danny Ings. If you called Villa and offered them the money that they spent on him, they they might say yes. You never know. And the series is not first choice at Sevilla. Could he be a shout? Like, I don't know. Kalajic at Stuttgart. Duvan Zapata at Atalanta. They seem to be selling all their players. There's all sorts of different age profiles of players here. But they're all good strikers. And they could all help Everton move on, rebuild, and kind of move away from Dominic Calvert-Lewin a little bit, who seems to be injured quite a lot nowadays. Yeah, those injury. I think those injury concerns are a massive problem um, yeah. because without him, Everton look a bit lost. Um, mm. And I think that w- what we're looking at here is is they need. Any, I, I'd, I'd maybe throw Neil Mopai into that mix, right? No, not the most yeah. prolific striker of all time, but a useful player to have around your side and someone who's you know capable of making a nuisance of himself at this level. And ultimately, you know, much as Richardson was brilliant, and I'm not not trying to say not trying to reduce him to this at all, he was a nuisance. You yeah, know, he, he was one of those players that put himself about, got him people's heads wound up opposition you know and yes he was incredibly talented as well and more pay is nowhere near the same level of player you're gaining at least some of that back that ability to you know to rattle opponents to to wind people up and the crowd you know often get behind that and i think that at the moment it just feels like everton are a bit lifeless and he's the kind of person i'd imagine that might throw a little bit of life into the mix here so it'll be very interesting to see where he ends up and there's obviously interest from from various places but it would make sense for Everton to be in that conversation, if, if you know, if you ask me. I tell you who else would liven this team up. It's Mela Saar, who's still at Watford. He's seen a what a move to Villa now fall through. Um, I can't believe he's going to end end the the window and, and and end up playing the first half of the season in the Championship ahead of the World Cup with Senegal. Like it feels it feels mad, and I don't know what's happening with Idris Gaidi, and that seems to have been on the verge of happening. You know, him returning to Everton for like two weeks now, but it hasn't actually happened. Picking up a, a Senegalese duo there and, you know, Saar to actually literally replace Gordon on the wing. Um, and then maybe Idris Gay as well to help certify the spine and then a striker. Like you can do all of this with the money that you've, uh, the revenue that you've generated this summer. And you can really, you can really change the face of this attack. Yeah, I mean, Everton do have financial issues that 
There's no not much clarity around exactly how bad these issues are, but they're definitely contending with some some problems. Um, but they they're going to have to confront it by spending some money because otherwise they're going to get relegated and then they're going to lose a lot more money. Um, so an interesting one. Ismail Assar is definitely somebody that they've got on their radar at the moment, especially now that his transfer to Villa fell through. And of course, like the obvious place is is Chelsea for Everton to go shopping um, at a time when they're trying to sign Anthony Gordon. Um, we could easily see um, players going in, in the opposite direction. You know, Broz is still at Chelsea. It hasn't been helped by the fact that he's had injury niggles throughout pre-season and coming into the season. Also, because Chelsea have no striker options, they're having to keep hold of him for now. There is no real plan for Brozier to play at Chelsea. And I think Frank Lampard would probably end up taking him if... If, the, if it came to it, and he'd probably be a reasonable addition to that team too. And, and there are others, um, you know, whether it's hudson Adoy or Billy Gilmore in the middle, whoever it ends up being. But there are, there are Chelsea players right now that I could see at least one of them being offloaded Everton's way. Yeah, I mean, I think considering we were talking about Amanda Brozier as, as a good option for West Ham earlier in, in in the summer, he would definitely be a good option for Everton to, to kind of pick up here. But whether he wants to play there after you know, being at Southampton last season and arguably dropping down a little bit or at least staying at the same level doesn't feel like a massive jump for him. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that is uh, and how, how that one would play out. But yeah, I think that there's a good chance that, that someone is included if this Anthony Corden deal does go through. Yeah, probably, probably. And um, I guess we can go to Chelsea next since these two seem inextricably linked in the market one way or another because Chelsea also... Effect. Yeah, need to need to get a move on and, and need to sort a few problems here. Um, this is not a knee-jerk reaction to the defeat of the weekend, which was horrific. Um, but this is a team that has felt like it's in flux pretty much all summer. Um, not a lot of conclusions have been drawn. Ste- we're steadily kind of getting there, but it's been a bit of a circus really, ultimately, hasn't it, Dean? With, with, uh, with the negotiating and, and the strain on Todd Burley and, and Thomas Tuchel to try and identify and negotiate for targets with no proper transfer structure, recruitment structure in place post-Roman Abramovich. It's been really difficult. But by my count, we're talking about the, the need for at least three players, maybe maybe four or five here at Chelsea. Yeah, look, Burley knows he's out of his depth when it comes to negotiations with some of the people that he's been talking to. Um, literally been meeting with the most high-powered um, clubs and agents in the game over the last few months. And, you know, he's, he's apparently a very nice man to speak to, very approachable. He's built good relationships with all these people, but ultimately he doesn't know anything about football, really. So um, he's always had to bring with him a, a football head from Chelsea, but they don't have a specific guy to take with him to these meetings. So he's ended up having to Call, fall back on a couple of people that have been involved in Chelsea long term but it's not specifically their job to go and talk transfers um, so there's been a few people out of their comfort zone I think this summer trying to help Chelsea with their strategy and it hasn't always paid off they've been offered loads of players a lot of the time Bodie doesn't actually have an answer as to whether he's interested in that player or not because while he might like Ronaldo for example he doesn't know whether that is a, a good fit for his team because he doesn't he didn't at that point know how Chelsea even played football or what Tuchel necessarily saw as a focal point of his team. So then he's got to go back to Tuchel and find out that answer. And that's why there's been so many links to Chelsea for Chelsea because there's been so many players put to them, to Bodies particularly, and he doesn't know the answer to these questions. And Which is fair yeah, enough. Strange to be fair yeah, to yeah absolutely. And he's, he's doing the right thing. Like, I haven't heard any specifically negative things about him. I think he's just found it tough 
a little bit to adapt to the culture of negotiating in European football, which is understandable because he's been in baseball in America. <laughs> so of course, <laughs> of course, he's going to have some um, difficulties understanding how it all works. It's yeah. just like pick I, someone up from the draft, um, like, you know, just make it all work. Sam, how many do they need? Um, well, I think they need a, a goal scorer. Um, I'm reluctant to provide a pr- position uh, to that. Two good news some... positions. Right? Well, we'll just yeah. say Aubameyang. Okay. Well, then I, I have, I have my concerns over the the Aubameyang marriage. I know that Tuchel and Aubameyang have have linked up before to good effect, I think. But I don't consider Aubameyang nowadays to be a particularly high volume presser, active defender from the front, those sorts of things. He is a natural finisher. He is a natural number nine. Makes the right runs provides the right finishes and will definitely help with the big, big problem Chelsea are facing, which is none of their forwards are scoring. Um, but he, I, I would be surprised, really, if um, if this... Well, I guess it's, it's needs must, isn't it? But it's definitely not a perfect marriage here, Aubameyang and Thomas Tuchel, in terms of the play styles. I'd have similar off-the-ball reservations than I would with, say, you know, when we talked about Tuchel and Ronaldo. It's it's, it's a similar... I think it's a similar situation in, in terms of that defensive, defensive stuff and off-the-ball stuff. Um, I'd much rather Chelsea go out and spend proper money on like Victor Ossiman. Um like just just a much better idea if you've got the money go and spend it it will cost you a lot but Ossiman is 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 the absolute perfect player um and failing that you know I'm still a big big believer and a big fan in Jonathan David and his first three games have been really strong and I think he fits Tuchel much much better in terms of a style um than someone like Aubameyang but maybe it's just going to be Aubameyang and then they'll the rest of the pieces will fit around that mm. yeah yeah, it's it feels like it's it, at first it was a bit of a that's a bit rogue, and now it feels like it's moved along, Dean. Yeah, I mean um, the deal's definitely different now to how it looks when they first approached it because they thought that Barcelona was so keen for Alonso that they could throw him into the deal and, and use less cash to try and get Alba over to Chelsea. Um, it's looking like a straight cash deal at the moment. Deals been progressing I've always been told to be wary of it because it could collapse any moment Xavi doesn't necessarily want to lo- lose Aubameyang he's his main goal back up to Lewandowski um, but yeah ultimately De Jong or Aubameyang has to go really to open up that wage structure at Barcelona and um, at the moment while Man United is still not giving up on Frankie De Jong he is still at Barcelona and he actually started the game at the weekend so mm. um tricky one to see how it works. I mean, ultimately, Aubameyang isn't the long-term solution to Chelsea. He's a short-term solution for goals that this team is absolutely crying out for. They're being linked to, like, Rafael Liao at the moment. Um, Rafael Liao's got a €150 million Euro release clause. Um, and I don't see that happening right now. I know negotiations have taken place, but that, as far as I understand it, that was more... Of a sounding out when AC how much Milan is he? Wanted... 150 okay thanks See well later. yeah they would were... <laughs> obviously Milan tried to sign ZX so Chelsea used that as an opportunity to find out more about well what would it take for us to get Liao if you want one of ours let's talk about one of yours kind of thing mm. um and they came away knowing that you know, he's he's gonna be extremely expensive and if he joins them his wages are also going to be massive uh, but there's also the possibility that if he doesn't join now, maybe he gets a new contract. Maybe that release clause is is taken away. Um, maybe maybe there are other solutions further down the road to get Liao through the door. But um, yeah, so I think I think Aubameyang really is just kind of stop goals, man. They, yeah. Kai Havertz mm. is blunt. Mm. Raheem Sterling, 
I think he's actually playing okay. I think he's getting a bit of a harsh deal on some people. But yeah, so I'm okay with him. But there's just nothing else around those guys. And there's no way Chelsea can get through the season with them. Mm, They're yeah. also, but I mean, I think that the other thing was that, yeah, and I know this is something similar to, to maybe we could say at Liverpool, but without Kante and Kovacic, this midfield looks very, 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 very weak. Um, I mean, Tyler Adams took put them all to the sword uh, in, mm. in this game against Leeds United. Um, and look, we've seen Kante have injury issues over the last year or so, right? Maybe slightly longer, to be honest with you. Um, we've seen those issues kind of rear their head. And without him, Chelsea looked a completely different side to the side that they did against, uh, against Tottenham the week beforehand. And I know there are other factors in this as well. But if there is concerns about, you know, Kante's long-term fitness uh, and whether he can play this many games in, a, in what is going to be a very strange year in terms of game structuring, do they need to recruit in there? Because at the moment, they look light. They do, but you can't replace Kante, can you? I mean, it's just how, I mean, don't even know where you start with that. I don't have any names. Nothing. The best I could do you is, you know, maybe Conor Gallagher <laughs> does, you know, really, really, really assimilates to the side and, and uses that ability to cover ground and that aggression but of course he'll never be he'll never be close to Kante's level no no one is he's one of the best um and I do think that they need a center midfielder but I just don't I don't know where you would find a player that can that can that can have that kind of impact they all belong to the top clubs of Europe and they're all key players and they're definitely not available with seven seven days to go Conrad Liner uh, Christ Florian Neuhaus oh they're not he's not going to be a Kante is he no, 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 I don't think he is. But I mean, if you need bodies in midfield who can do, who, who work hard and do a job, um, th- th- there are names out there that, that can Palinia. do that. You can't, no, they can't what? have Harrison Reid, who is actually the, the light, the B-Tech. Palinia and Harrison Reid are going to solve Chelsea's problems yeah. and leave Fulham relegated. I mean, um, I'd like to say, it's not, it's not the same player, of course, but I'd like to see Chelsea just hang in there right to the end on any potential Frankie de Jong deal. Because in terms of looking forward off the back of Jorginho, yeah. Um, that feels like that feels like a really smart move that they could make and take advantage of something. And I also think that they should be just very wary of Fabian, Fabian Ruiz's, you know, move to PSG and whether or not it actually goes through because this has been going on for weeks now and it it hasn't quite happened yet. And and I think Fabian Ruiz and Tuchel would really like each other. Um, again, not the Kante role, but just in terms of midfield numbers and bodies, those are the kind of players that I would look at. I also do think they do need a centre back. Like I've come round to this idea. I don't think it should be Fafana though. I don't think they should spend the money on him. Uh, I don't think they should set a transfer record for a defender on Fafana. Also, don't think they should sign Anthony Gordon. I don't. His production levels doesn't. Don't, they don't fill me with 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 confidence in terms of fixing that issue up top. And if I was again, if I was Chelsea, I'd I'd hang in there and I'd just pick up the phone to Bayern and ask if Benjamin Pavard is you know totally happy with his situation and I'd much rather go and spend so forty million on Pavard than than you know eighty or something on Fafana. Well, would also Pavard can't... play? Right centre-back? Sorry? Would pa- Pavard as a centre-back, you mean? Yeah, as, like a, as a right-sided centre-back or something yeah. like that. You know, I, I would, yeah. I, I, and I assume that's where they, they see Fafana as the right-sided centre-back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just, I would just t- take a look at that 100%. Um, yeah. I'd be very... Like if Chelsea end this window and they spent a transfer record on Fafana and spent 60 million on Gordon, I will be scathing, boys. It'll be like Toxic Dean turned up to 100 I mean, the other big flaw in this Chelsea team at the moment is Loftus Cheeks playing, and like he's playing, he's playing in Reese James's position basically, right? Like most of the time, and that's another reason they do need to 
to bring in this right side centre back so that Reese James doesn't have to be played. Look, he can play there, no worries. But like, I just feel like it's to the detriment of this team. The other day, there was a loose link to Hakimi because Hakimi suddenly was linked with Barcelona and Chelsea long-time admirers of Hakimi and I think there was suddenly like some of the people still at the club were like hang on if he's actually available we've we have looked wanted him for quite a while um so if if that was to materialize I wouldn't totally surprise me if if Chelsea were suddenly came into reckoning for him but my main point there is like Loftus-Cheek He's, he's good as a squad player. He can't be a regular starter for Chelsea at this stage. And Conor Gallagher's now starting and, and playing in positions that aren't really for him, you know? Like, I, he's just not getting the roles that he needs. I don't have I don't have an issue with how they fielded Gallagher, but Loftus-Cheek feels like a very specific ploy at wing-back to have him come inside the midfield and kind of create an overload where possible. Basically just to play Tottenham. Uh, yeah, but then he did, obviously did it against Leeds as well and it didn't really work. I mean, no. having physicality and strength on the ball is a good idea against Leeds. I understand why he was on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it... it Would have played him at centre it's now, it's now two games in a row where, you know, they've got to sort of 60, 70 minutes and they've had to shift James forward into a more influential attacking role. So it is probably something that you can regard as unsustainable. Look, the, 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 the good thing about Loftus-Cheek is that he will accept 15 games this season. Uh, to come in and out where where he needs to and, and just play his role and those players are valuable um but yeah they've got they've got a lot of a lot of stuff to do here addressing the quality across the park um and don't sign Anthony Gordon for 60 million yeah, yeah just just don't do it don't do it um okie dokie let's move on to number two right it's definitely more desperate here it's Leicester who are giving me very bad vibes very mm. I'm surprised this isn't top, Sam. I'm so concerned for Leicester that if they were not to get the rest of this window right, I think they are genuine relegation candidates. I mean, they just lost to a genuine relegation candidate in Southampton, having taken the lead, which is very, very worrying. Um, They started the game with Tielemans on the bench and Fafana in the stands with Brendan Rodgers saying that they were not in the right mind frame, the mindset to play. This is a big, big problem. This is dragging on and on and on. They need to sell Fafana and maybe Tielemans and get on with some spending. They also have a couple of other players that they're trying to shift that they just can't. You know, Bukari Samare wants to leave seemingly and he can't go. No one wants Yannick Vestergaard, which is not surprising. And Chala Soyuncu is not really in the picture either and no one seems to want him. Again, not that surprising. Um, But they've got so many assets that they need to kind of shift before they can do anything, which explains their paralysis in the market. But we're now a week out and nothing nothing has happened except they signed Alex Smithies you know, as a reserve goalkeeper. And I still think they need another goalkeeper, guys. Like, <laughs> they do. They've, got, they've signed one. They've got three. I think they need a fourth Three average one. goalkeepers, haven't they? They need, a, they need one that's better than the other ones. They've actually and... decided that the Southampton path is, is for them. And I don't mean in terms of signing a player from Southampton. I mean, just being like, I would just rotate the goalkeepers throughout the season and just see who's having a, a good game here and there. When one keeper ships a load of goals, we'll bring someone else in. It's yeah, not it's a mad. sustainable strategy. It's mad. It really is mad. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really tough. And of course, when you're trying to find goalkeepers who are available with a week to go, the options are pretty bad. I think they have to go a little bit out of the box here. One of our patrons, Matt, suggested Alban Lafont from Nantes uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I've really warmed to that suggestion. Also, like you might want to look at like Dominic Livakovic, who plays for Dinamo Zagreb, Croatia's number one. You, you actually have to go quite far afield at this point in order to find a quality goalkeeper because all the good ones are gone and Kayla Navas is not going to join Leicester. Um, they can have they, Paolo Gazaniga if they want. You're so generous. 
Just, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> You're so generous. Also, obviously, if you sell for Fana, you need to hit the hit the market for centre backs because, I mean, clearly Rogers doesn't like Vestergaard or Soyuncu. Um, Amati is not good enough, which leaves you with Johnny Evans, and that's literally it. Um, so probably need to go and find a few here again. I do wonder if like Trevor Chalobah on loan, Chelsea don't seem to want to feature him in the plans. Like that's not the worst idea. If you run out of, if you run out of things to, to look at Jean-Claire Todibo from Nice, really progressing. He's, he's banned for two games as well. So this would be a good time to, <laughs> to sweep in and get him. <laughs> because really as a Fafana replacement, I don't know, Jack Gonzalo Inacio from Sporting. If they're going to play with a three, Inacio is a really good player. Um, we yeah. haven't seen him very much in a two, so it's a little bit of a gamble. But in a yeah. three, 100%. Maybe, maybe. I mean, actually, Tre- Chalabas played mostly in a three as well in, in Chelsea career, but obviously played a little bit. Played in a four for uh, Lorient, wasn't it, on loan. Um, centre mid, if you sell Tielemans, you need, you need to find a passer. Um, I don't know how many passers are left, guys. I really don't. Um, I noticed that Zeka from, you know, formerly of Lille is still a free agent. He's a good passer. Uh, Lovro Meyer from Rennes, yeah, you know, could you I get like could you get him? Ivan Illich from Hellas Verona. Again, we have to go quite far away here from the from the from the main current because there is a week left and Leicester have only so much pulling power without any European football to offer. I also think that they could do with this Melasar. They don't really have many wingers outside of Harvey Barnes. Mm. So there's point. there's a bunch of names, but ultimately Leicester, I think, are a goalkeeper, a centre back, a centre mid, and a winger short of of getting anywhere near where they want to be this season at minimum. It's yeah. four players minimum. I think I think it might be more than that as well. I think it might be six. Um, but I think they need two centre backs. To be perfectly honest with you, um, I think they could probably do with you know at least yeah you're right one centre midfielder maybe two attacking players because it doesn't look good. Yeah, and, and no one seems to be very happy. Um, and that's the kind of very strange thing. And, the and there's, still link, there's still links with players leaving, you know, on top of Havana and, uh, and Tielemont. You know, there's still, there's still chat around other players leaving. And it just feels like it's a really sad place this year. Uh, well, right now, Leicester. Um, and considering, you know, how good some of the last years have been, it's it, it feels like we're a long way from that and and it, maybe it just needs a, a big old reset now you know how much i love brendan um but i, I don't think he's been given any parts to work with here and, mm. and that's a danger a massive massive danger well, he made it clear last season that you know his, when his job seemed like it might be in some doubt last season and he decided to stay and he said look this this club needs a refresh like this this team's going stale and i i can't just keep pushing them to new levels at some point I've got to have some players in that really change things and obviously their last transfer window last summer wasn't great um maybe it burned them a little bit but also I think it, it took some of the money out that would have gone in this year even if they sell for Farner, they're not getting that 80 million pound to put back in the team that's not going to happen at this point they've already tried for a couple of players like I know they tried for Brennan Johnson at, at Nottingham Forest and didn't get it done I mean, failing to get deals like that doesn't reflect well um, on Leicester at a time like this. And you've got to be concerned. You've got to be massively concerned, really, about how they can fix any of this in the last week of the transfer window. Fafana will be really difficult to replace in himself. Leicester, obviously, they, they, will, they are willing to become a selling club at the right price, like whether it's Maguire or Ben Chilwell or... Whoever, like they, they will, they will sell at the right price. 
And Fafana's the same. Uh, like a, a record fee for Fafana, they'll sell him. But the problem is, it's the window shots, yeah, just over a week. And that doesn't leave them much time to fix a problem because it's the fact it's not the only problem they've got. They've got problems mm. everywhere. They are a poor team at the moment. And I think Brendan Rodgers will be very concerned. If he comes out this this, this transfer window and he hasn't been able to add a few faces, they're in massive trouble. And I don't know if he'll even get through the season. Um, yeah. it looked, he, I, I mean, he might on, walk. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter. I don't know how verified it is that Leicester maybe up for sale as a club as well, which just adds, if true, a whole nother dimension to this mess. Um, so, so difficult to go about spending money when the owners, you know, potentially put it up for sale. Maybe, but don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Um, At least they've got James Madison because he looks quality. Like James Madison is still ripping it up. Jamie Vardy's just got his it'd, it'd be at Newcastle. It'll be at Newcastle by the end of the winter, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they've got a few, you know, they've got a few players still that are, are very good. It's just getting the best out of them at a moment when morale seems to be on the floor. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would totally agree. Um, and I'm intrigued to see why. Well, I think I know who you've you know who it is. But I, I don't know if this is correct. I think they might have been at two for me, mate. Maybe. I think the scale, the scale um, and the danger here it plays plays a part in this because if Man United don't get the players that we keep talking about, then... It was. It is. It is doomed for failure. And of course, the um, what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for here? The um, the enormity of the situation is always greater when Manchester United are involved. Yes, that's true. just that's just the way it is. Um, so obviously, Casemiro is a fantastic signing. Um, they've been talking to Anthony. They've been floating the idea, seemingly Dean, of paying eighty million for Anthony. This is a lot of money. Anthony is very good, but it's a lot of money. It's better than I paying see... 60 million for Anthony Gordon. It definitely <laughs> is. But do you know what's better than any of that? Is paying around 50 for Pedro Neto, yeah. which is apparently what you can do nowadays. That's okay. You can do that. And you for, for, the, for, for the fee of around 50 million, you can get one Pedro Neto, which yeah. is something that Arsenal apparently are sitting on and waiting, but they can't quite find the room for it yet. Man United have got the room for it, but this is this is something I would definitely look at. I guess it's a familiarity factor, right? Like so far, um, you've seen Malassia come in at 15 million. Looks mm. to be a great addition. Um, Lissandro Martinez got man of the match against Liverpool and those first two performances can hopefully be forgotten um, because I don't think they were a fair reflection of the player as he's settling into English football. And once you start to have some success with players that Ten Hag himself is identifying as players from Eredivisie that can come and can fit in, then there does become more temptation to trust him again for the big one. And Anthony's mm. going to be the big one at 80 million, obviously. And you look at that dynamic that United have got up front, the types of players that you've got in Martial, Rashford, Elanga, and Sancho. And Anthony is is of the same type, right? He's he'll he'll get at you in a similar way. He'll be able to bounce off of those players. He'll be on the same kind of wavelength that they play on. Ronaldo's not. Arnautovic wouldn't have been. And I can see why they're going down that route. And it's not, obviously, they've, they've got Gakpo as an alternative. I haven't seen a lot of Gakpo. I can't really tell you whether he's a similar type of player or not. But he seems to be the guy that he thinks would fit too. Might even end up signing both of them at this rate if Ronaldo leaves. So I can understand why at this point they'll be tempted to pay over the odds for Anthony. Ajax know that they're desperate. Um, and to be honest, if, if he's the guy that, that Ten Hag thinks solves the problem once they have one injury in those positions up front 
he might be worth it. It might be worth it because that was what we saw last night was actually more what I'd seen in the first couple of games of preseason in terms of what they were trying to build. And it obviously completely disappeared once Sancho was missing or once Martial was missing. And getting them all together again, it felt back, good. The band are back together, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> very brief time they were together, but they did get back together again. Um, and it just felt like they had that bit of oomph about them and, and that directness and the understanding that they've clearly been working on. Like, even just on the goal, I know it was very simple when Martial just can slot it straight through the middle of the fence and, and Rashford can run in from the channel. But that's obviously the type of play that they had been starting to work on before it had fallen away because Martial got yep. injured. So maybe Anthony is the type of player that fits into all of that. And I think still, you know, United might they might get in a Sergino Dest. Like that, that could happen. Like Barcelona clearly don't want him. Um, Dest is going to have to make a big decision here whether he hangs around. Or does he go to a manager that's worked with him before and thinks, yes, I will, I will get something out of you. You will fit into my team perfectly. Um, so there are a couple of other little pieces too that I just wonder, look, I said this on another show earlier, we, we might be looking back on a window where Man United spend about a quarter of a billion pounds. <laughs> And like in a, in a year, in a summer when everyone's like, oh, the Glazers out, they're not supporting them. I know that they've their hand has been forced here and that they probably Sorry, wouldn't it's not, have... it's not their money. Like, it's yeah, the money totally, that no, I know, I know. the club creates. But, but in, my point was like in, in 30, 40 years, kids who support United will be looking back and reading the, about the history and about the protests about the Glazers and why I didn't like them see that they spent a quarter of a billion pounds trying to make them. But they'll be like, are you sure these lads weren't all right, the Glazers? They, they seem like they were right into it, splashing Hope, money on yeah. some of these players. Hopefully, uh, nuance and context survives the history analysis. Hopefully, they'll be listening to podcasts why. from 30-odd years ago to well, find out as what we, happened. As we said, didn't we? Imagine, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could listen to weekly podcasts from 1980. I wish I could hear about like you know that sort of thing. But um, look, I'm trying really hard here. Jack, I understand why you're saying, you know, oh, I'm surprised they're, they're number one. Because like, obviously, what just happened against Liverpool... It's the it's the first memory of Manchester United, and it all looked so much better. And it can it can, I nearly got I nearly got tricked when I was preparing for this. I was like, oh, they don't need a forward. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they definitely do. do. They definitely do. Like Anthony Martial cannot stay fit. He can't be trusted to maintain a certain level. Rashford is only just starting to show, like you know, green sprouts. So like, I I just I just you have to remember that like this is a very flimsy setup. It looked good. Look good in preseason, look good here, but there's a lot, there's a lot that's needed. And like, I still look at the goalkeeper, and David Ahea started punting it long now because he he can't, he literally can't do what Eric Ten Hag wants of him. So it's safety first. It's a good compromise to make. I'm not criticising it. I, say, I think it's still a good idea that he does do that. Definitely, but Man United will probably probably should look at a goalkeeper who can who can fulfil that role. I think they will have next him, year, yeah, and have him come in as maybe an understudy. Again, don't have too many suggestions there. We have a week left. Mm. Um, it sucks for De Gea that he, he had to play against Robert Sanchez and David Raya in the first two games, who just do it perfectly. That was a bad contrast. Um, Raya went mid- long every time against them, so I don't know. I don't know if but that was, just they were accurate long passes rather than they're accurate. Yeah. yeah, they're accurate. Um, the centre mid thing, they still need, obviously, to, they need better ball progression. I don't think Casemiro necessarily fixes this. He's a great presence, but they still need a ball progression option. Um, you know, a press resistant player who can play through the lines. If it's not Frankie, could it be Fabian Ruiz if that one doesn't go through? Can you chuck 50 million at AC Milan to get Ismail Benacer? Um, If you absolutely have nothing left, Tielemans would not be a bad shout here. Sticking with the Dutch vibe, 
you can still yeah. go and sign Tay and Cope Miners. It's not, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not impossible now that he's only gone to Atalanta for a year. You're grimacing, Jack. I don't think that they're, they're going to sell Cope Miners. They don't have any midfielders left. Yeah, but it's they been probably with a couple it, of people. It depends. It depends how much money they offer, man. Yeah, but it's been did, did I not tell you through the whole of last summer that he was going to Atalanta and everyone was like, well, hey, why isn't he there yet? And eventually he went to Atalanta, right? I told yeah. you it's a done deal. I'm telling you right now, he's not going anywhere. Okay, mate. No worries. This I'll is, forget. I'll scratch mind. that one off the list. Scratch that one off the list. Um, Sorry, mate. Jude Bellingham would be a dream. I have any inside info about and it all comes from within my head. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Bellingham would be a dream, but I'm assuming that is completely and utterly impossible right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I mean, even someone like Joffrey Kondogbia from Atleti like would be massively helpful. There are there are there are strings they can pull here. I still think they need a right back. They need to sell Aaron Wambasaka and sign someone else. Maybe it's Dest. I really like Thierry Correa at Valencia, and I think he'd be brilliant. But that's just me. And the striker thing again, weak left is hard. But Aussie men, if you just paid enough money, he'd be there. That sort of yeah. thing. There's there's loads there's loads they still need to get done. I'm trying really hard, and and I implore everyone to do the same. Do not get tricked by Monday. It's a very positive sign, but they are still they're still five signings away from really probably clambering back on par with some of the, the teams that they want to be on par with. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and and to go back to your earlier point, Pedro Neto seems like a very sensible option. Fifty million for uh, Peter Grandson seems like a a sensible thing to do <laughs> at, at this point. So Peter Grandson is it Neto Grandson? Neto's grandson, yeah, from the Lobos right. Ranch, the Wandering Wolves. Um, there you go. There's, there's, there's your language Peter barriers. But when you call him when you call him Peter Grandson, I, I don't think he's worth fifty million anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like Pelinia, right? Like his name officially as Jean Pelinia means John Straw, which can be shortened to Jack Straw, who was a former British MP. So, uh, oh wow. So there you go. I didn't he, know that. He doesn't sound straw. He, he, he's not worth that money if he's called Jack Straw, is he? No. 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 Not at all. No chance. He, play, not, he, not he, he deserves to play for Cheltenham. Yeah, he's playing in League One. He's playing in <laughs> League One. Absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. Very good. Well done, Sam. A, uh, a good ranking and, and, and four clubs who have a lot to do in this next week. Um, it's going to be intriguing to see how this one pans out. Right after the break, we're going to have Mel another week. And of course, the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jardel Silva. He is a forward in the Portuguese second division, and he is a melon. Now, Jack will correct me if I get any of these pronunciations wrong, but he's a Ferenge player is that right not bad at all not bad and i would say he was playing against a team called lexios what would you say les shows (laughs) it's quite that's a really hard one because like the oe sound is is tricky and then you have to try and swallow the s my pronunciation by the way is nowhere near perfect it's just i just try a bit harder than you yeah listen that's not this none of this is important what we need to know is that this jardel absolute melon and a lot of you have probably seen this and I think the reason you would have seen it is the reason he actually tried this style of penalty kick that he tried I think he was just trying to go viral because this is absolutely ridiculous um so he's playing in this game which by the way ends 1-1 gets his first penalty and this is called the frozen penalty so he's got one foot his left standing foot planted next to the ball he's got his left hand out in front of him for balance he's got his right foot pulled back ready to kick 
and he's just poised, frozen in time, standing there still, refusing to move. Now, you could think that the screen was buffering at this point because the referee, bizarrely, doesn't move an inch either. He is just standing Neither still. Neither do the defenders. They all stand still. And there's just two lads just having a tussle in and around the box that are just ruining the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that are just running around the screen. It looks really weird. Anyway, he, d- he gets a penalty. The first one, from this ridiculous stance that he's in, he then just kicks it. It's like a one... It's kind of like a five-a-side kick. One step, might. yeah. Yeah, like a one... It kind of, but he literally doesn't even do it's a, a step. No, he it's just, a no-step, yeah. It's a no-step pen, and he kicks it, and the first one goes in. They get another one. And he does it again. What is he doing? The big issue he's got with this spot kick, I don't know if he's ever done this before, but you can't really go across your body with this style of kick. It's going in one place and one place only, and that's that side of the goal because it's right in front of you and there's no room (laughs) to angle your body quickly and get it across to the other corner because it's just not going to have any power. You have to hit with your instep, don't you? So it has to go go out. There's just no chance. Because if you went across yourself, it would would hit your other foot. You would literally (laughs) just fall over. You'd collapse. (laughs) Anyway, the keeper obviously saves the second one. The game ends 1-1. This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I'm all for... Well, I'm obviously not because I'm calling Melon of the Week. <laughs> People having a bit of unique play <laughs> and a bit of individuality. If he'd only done it once, he would have been a hero. As he'd done this it is twice, the thing, isn't it? This is the thing. Like, he'd, got, he'd done it. He'd had his moment. He would have gone viral anyway. Now he's going viral for the wrong reasons because people can see he's a melon. Look. The Penenka came from somewhere, right? Like that, that that was tried once, it worked. And then people through time have been like, oh, I'm going to try that. And now it's actually a thing within the game that everybody talks about. I don't know if anyone's ever going to try this. They probably shouldn't. Um, maybe in five a side, I say you could try it or down the park. But it looks ridiculous. It is ridiculous. He is ridiculous. He is Melon of the Week. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, yeah it, it's, the, the line between glory and failure is so thin, isn't it? It's so thin. But do you if think he twice, actually did this just to become like internet famous? Because no. why else would you do no. it? There's no logic to taking a penalty. It well, isn't like the, the hop penalty that, that Georgina because there's some logic behind that and it, the keeper's like oh no is he actually going to do it this time this is just stupid Why I mean it's got it? su- it's got an amazing shock factor to it the first time which yeah. probably probably creates like incredible amounts of uncertainty in the goalkeeper's <laughs> mind like what he'd be like what the heck he's probably looking at the referee asking if this is legal while the guy tucks it in the corner what Goal's I not want, even looking. What I want to see is Andrew Redmayne facing Jardel in a penalty. <laughs> so the keeper going absolutely mad doing the dancing on the line and him just stood stock still. <laughs> uh, this is this is the matchup that we are crying out for. This is what we this is can what I, we need. Can I just say I f- I respect Jardel's ability, his his balance. I respect the ability to stand and not move an inch. He doesn't even waver. He's there for like five, six seconds. It's yeah. like the balance. The balance is incredible. If I tried to do that, I would immediately fall over. I saw a tweet saying, I thought my stream had frozen, which really did make me laugh. Yeah, um, it does it look really look like it. Look um, oh, yes, no, I, I agree with you though. Once you know, once time, once bitten, twice shy, yeah. uh, and all that. Okay, dokey. Again truncated here we are this is the new nor- <laughs> this is the new normal on ranks fc yes. uh, it's time for the gibberish ranking sam what you got for us yeah i'm gonna go on a bit of a rant um i'm gonna use this as a platform i've got three statistics in football right now that are really really annoying me in the way that people reference them or use them or misuse them if one of these isn't distance run i'm gonna be livid 
At number three is crossing completion percentage. Yeah. This is almost worthless. Genuinely almost worthless. I still see it used quite a lot. It's not a good stat. Try to stay away from it where possible. The reason is, is like if you if you nip down the line and sling the ball into the box towards the back post, and your your teammate rises high, but it basically just crests his head, and he gets a tiny touch on it, but it's obviously the cross is too high, and he ends up heading it behind himself. That is a completed cross. It is not significant of a good cross. It's just that your teammate touched it. Similarly, what Alexander Kolarov used to do was run down the line and hit it as hard as he physically could into the box. Just get it in the mixer, low and hard. It used to create carnage and it actually generated quite a lot of goals for Manchester City and the clubs that he played before. But if the ball hits an opposing player before it ricochets anywhere and goes in goal, it's an incomplete cross. So this statistic is deeply flawed and we need to find a better way to judge crosses. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just here to complain. Yeah, I mean, also, like, crosses are, by their very design, you know, not actually a particularly... It's like when you have a, a creative player with bad pass completion rates, right? Mm. It's like crosses are in, in kind of innately risky. The chances of them coming off are relatively small. Um, mm. So, therefore, it doesn't hugely matter because you could put in, as you say, really good crosses and there could just... Someone sliding in and missing it by a toe doesn't make mm. it a bad cross. Um, mm. And so, therefore, like, it's, it's a very strange one to kind of take take risks with and crosses it's, are risky it is yeah it's also it's also yeah. a you know side note it's a floor of xg in that you could actually sling reese james could sling three, three crosses across the you know the the corridor of uncertainty so to speak they could no one could get a toe on it three times and the xg would be zero and someone could take that and go well they didn't carry any threat it's like well, actually they were one millimeter away from scoring three goals worth about 0.7 so it's a dicey that's why one. you need dirt kite in your team Hundred percent. That's exactly why you need to. That's, that's the whole point I was trying to make. Chelsea should sign Dirk Kite. We've, right. we, your your arguments have been solved in the gibberish rankings. Who knew? Yeah, fair enough. Right. <laughs> Another one which is kind of linked in a way is aerial jewels one. This is also a little bit dodgy because you can basically rise high and the first contact on the ball in an aerial duel will be de- designated the winner of the aerial duel statistically. But ultimately, you can jockey with players. You can put them off. You can lose an aerial duel by the statistics, but do enough to put your marker off so that he heads it well wide or he's backpedaling or he's unbalanced. You don't have to win an aerial duel statistically to basically get the better of a player and put them off. So it is a little bit of a false dawn sometimes. And yes, obviously, when Dan Byrne wins seven aerials a game, yes, he's very good in the air. But it's a bit of a dicey one. It's a bit difficult sometimes to judge exactly who is the most effective in the air just by using those statistics because there are actually many more ingredients that are going into it. Yeah, fair. I, I've used something before which allows you to kind of pinpoint an area on the pitch, which mm. is quite useful um, because if you're looking at a centre midfielder, for example, and you're looking at their aerial dual rate within the centre circle or within you know the middle third of the pitch, let's say, that's a far more useful representation because that's kind of winning aerial challenges rather than like putting players off in the box. And mm. th- that's a far more nuanced measure of using this. Yeah. But I do understand what you're about. I have less of a problem with this one than I do with your first one, but I I feel that you have a point. It's not as bad. I just think... Um, that's why you put it too. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how this ranking works. Um, it's, no, it's not... It's not um, it's not as widespread a problem. I think so. I think people are are genuinely aware of it. But um, yeah, it can be a bit. It can be a bit difficult, particularly in the box. A lot of it is just about putting someone off, not necessarily getting the contact to the ball. Anyway, 
That number one is running stats. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad you thought about this. This is pissing me off I'll so much. I'll tell you why. It's pissing me off so much. Right. First of all, obviously, running is good. Yeah. There you go. We've started with that. Running is good. It's right, confirmed low, low as not bad. Running is not bad. Um, this I, this is definitely Eric Ten Hag's fault, isn't it? Because he made his Man United players run the distance that they lacked compared to Brentford in a training session. And then yep. obviously Leeds outran Chelsea and beat them at the weekend. And then Man United just outran Liverpool and beat them. So people are starting to draw correlation. And it's like, well... <laughs> Guys, if you have more of the ball, you will run less. United had less of the ball against Liverpool, so they ran more. Much less. Leeds had less of the ball against Chelsea, so they ran more. United had more of the ball against Brentford, so they ran less. That is your correlation. That's it. Obviously, running is good. Work rate is good. Passion is good. Heart is good. But there needs to be some awareness here. And But judging by my Twitter timeline, there is zero awareness. Possession and kilometers run go hand in hand and you need to be aware of it please guys please i got a text from uh from my friend max this morning and our patrons will know him as voice note max voice note who, max who literally said to me this i'm reading you out these word for word a couple of things you know those sprint stats everyone seems to be obsessed with at the moment isn't it just more likely to be the case if you sprint more if you don't have the ball chasing the ball slash counterattacks i really don't like that stat he also went on to say, have you listened to the off-menu podcast? Which I replied, no, but that's not really the point. Um, <laughs> like, so I'm really glad you brought this up. He will be delighted, absolutely delighted to hear this. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, they, they do often write pressures underneath it. And I think pressures is a far more useful skill, or, mm. or at least a, use, a, a far more useful measure, sorry, to, to kind of have a look at what's going on in a game and and yeah. actually that's a that's something to to be aware of um but yeah i completely agree with you i'm really glad you put this in because it's it wasn't really a gibberish week. actually that was actually quite sensical <sighs> yeah it was yeah it's just i just had, I had some stuff i had to get off my chest <laughs> that's fine yeah. yeah i didn't have three things to talk about house of the dragon anyway so i uh so it's um so <laughs> oh it's i haven't you, seen you, it yet you've bailed me out a little bit i did say i was gonna do that and then you're I gonna rate your top three dragons yeah, well, to be fair, we've only Don't, seen no one dragon. So no spoilers. That's it. It's not a spoiler. That's not a spoiler. Um, but I will rate them at some point. Maybe at the end of the series. Hopefully we'll have uh, a few you more. Just, have why don't you just up. wrap in the other dragons? Like Puff the Magic. Yeah. Or, or by, oh no, he was a dinosaur. I was going to say Barney the Barney dinosaur. Was a, Barney was a dinosaur. Bar- Barney Aragon, famously. Aragon was a dragon. Smaug. He was a Smaug dragon. was a dragon. Yeah, yeah, just rank them, man. Yeah, no, I only want to rank the... I could have just used the ones from Game of Thrones as well, although they were all just the same dragon come three times uh, using the same uh, see the same images. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to wait, and then at the end of this, I'll rank my favourite three dragons at House of the Dragon. Lots okay. of fun to be had. Cool. It's a bit like when I did those Greek gods, and everyone really enjoyed that one. Uh, that was everyone's favourite. <laughs> yeah, we got loads of really good feedback on that one. Right, I am absolutely waffling on. Um, so I think this is time <laughs> to call this one a day. Uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tyler. Thank God. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you so much for listening. We've got another surprise in store next week. We are doing a free week uh, where we're going to be releasing all three of our episodes, two normally behind our patron paywall um, on the main feed, which is partly because we want to show you what you're missing uh, and partly because we'd like to talk about deadline day after deadline day. So we're going to be running a special episode on 
well, the first to kind of show you what we think about the last minute deals that have gone through. Thank you all so much for listening as ever. And we will see you on Monday for the Postbox. Take it easy, gang. Peace.